0: We uh, conclude tonight our six-part series on the story of the Bible, and uh, we, we, I always have to be sensitive that maybe someone's here for the first time, but I can't spend a lot of time in review, but we, we've tried to highlight and we've tried to show you how the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is seen throughout. And we we highlighted it uh, starting with Genesis 12 when God came came to Abraham and called him out from his land to go to a new land, and he promised to bless him, bless him as a nation, uh, bless his name, bless him in all sorts of ways. And the final blessing that we tend to gloss over is, and Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the families, all the nations of the earth. And so... um, So that starts there. He repeats that promise to Abraham a couple more times in Genesis and two more times to his son Jacob and Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. And then we highlighted and we've we've seen, we spent four, really three full messages on the Old Testament. the Exodus, an amazing story, how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and He did it for Him his name's sake, so that His name would be known by the Egyptians and by the nations all around him. And moving on into the conquest and Joshua and, and then on into the kings, we spent some time with David and Solomon and some of the very clear, clear that it's been God's heart from the beginning. To his people, that I've called you, so that you will be a blessing to all peoples. And we know back from in Genesis, um, as God repeats this uh, promise to the the his to Abraham and his children, that he says a couple times. You and your offspring will be a blessing. And we know ultimately that offspring, that seed singular, is going to be Jesus, right? And Jesus is going to come and he is going to bless all nations, not just you and me, not just a few people. So last week or last time we worked on, we went to the New Testament, we we saw how Jesus in his life and ministry in the Gospels, the same story. He went and ministered some among the Gentiles and he taught very clearly that this isn't just about Abraham's physical descendants. This is about peoples from every people group. And so the, the one, little, one review slide here is one you remember well. Hopefully you've got it memorized, even though you can say it a lot of different ways. What is the story of the Bible? God's revelation starts in Genesis, goes to the book of Revelation. God's revelation to mankind concerning his purpose and plan to glorify his name by redeeming people from every people group in the world through his son. Jesus Christ. And I've tried to remind you all along that except for the highlighted portions here, we all would say something like that. We all recognize it, but I'm suggesting all the way through this series that we tend to overlook the key, the key concept in these stories. We don't have these stories without this, that it's all about God and not about us. It's for His glory. God means to be worshipped, and He doesn't just mean to be worshipped By a few people, he means to be worshipped by some of his image bearers everywhere, all peoples of the earth. So we tend to miss in our lives, in our teaching, in our thinking, we tend to miss that it's all about glory, to glorify his name. And we always miss, it seems, that he's about redeeming people from every every people group in the world. He's on the march. So... Hopefully, after this series is over, when you read your scriptures, as you study, as you teach, as you live this Christian life, you won't be able to do it the same way because you'll recognize that, whoa. I see it now. I see it in the book of Revelation. I see it in Isaiah. I see it, wow, here it is again. As you read the scriptures, you begin to see, wow, this is everywhere. This is what it's all about. God's revelation to mankind concerning his plan and purpose to glorify himself by redeeming people from every people group in the world through his son, Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to turn, if you want, if you have a Bible, to Acts. We're going to spend the first part of our study in the first half of Acts, and we're gonna, I'm going to have some things on the screen, but for the most part, I'm just going to read it, and we're going to just thumb through, through uh, Acts 15. Uh, and this is a little different lesson this time, because in the past, it's mostly just showing everywhere, all the way through scriptures, all the way through Israel's history, all the way through that God means to be worshipped and known by all peoples. But there's a little change now. It's almost like we're now moving to history, right? Seeing how God is doing it. Jesus has come. Jesus has crashed into earth. He lived that righteous life. He gave his life. He died. He rose again. He ascended. He sent, and we're going to read about it, he sent his spirit down to kick it off and to see it really start going full, full-fledged. So Acts 1-8, just before the ascension, uh, Luke uh, really wrote the book of Luke and Acts, and Jesus says in verse 7, actually, to his disciples, not just the apostles, but his followers who are in the upper room kind of waiting uh, or with, with Jesus just before, just before he ascends. And he says, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That, my friends, is the theme of the book of Acts and the rest of history, right? God, or Jesus says to his disciples, "You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they lived right then, in Judea, which is a region right around Jerusalem, Jewish, in Samaria, which is not Jewish, half Jewish, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we're going to see how He starts to make that happen through his apostles and their followers. So we come to chapter 2 of of Acts, and uh, we see this this incredible story at Pentecost. You know the story, how the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they start speaking in tongues, all those followers waiting in the upper room. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what? We've known that for decades. What's that all about, John? Verse verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews... God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. The known world then, there were people from there. And they had been where they came from, some of them since the exile, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. They lived and died. Their their children grew up in these other cultures, other places. And they come to Jerusalem because they're Jews and they're celebrating Pentecost. And so they're there. And so they come from every nation under heaven Uh, God-fearing Jews, verse 6, when they heard this sound of the rushing wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? We're going to show a map halfway through this sermon. I'm going to point it out then. But Galilee is actually, you have Judea around Jerusalem and then Samaria and then Galilee is up there by the Sea of Galilee, right? The Galileans. It says, aren't these Galileans Aren't these men who are speaking Galileans? The answer is yes. And how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it lists 13 of them. And I should have the map right here and show you all of them, but I don't have time. And so each one heard them speaking in their own language and then uh, verse, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. I submit to you that that's God's plan to get it started. So, what are these? What are all these God-fearing Jews that are hearing the gospel for the first time from Peter? Peter gets up and starts speaking. Many of them come to faith. What are they going to do in the future? They're going to head back home, aren't they? And where's home going to be? In Gentile territory. Okay. So that's that's kind of a start there. We thumb through. Peter uh, gives an impassioned speech about this Jesus. Thousands, three thousands are added to their number that day and we thumb through and there's many opportunities, stories of miracles and messages and thousands coming to faith. The, 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 The city of Jerusalem has been turned upside down. By this church. It's amazing the numbers. If you look at the numbers in Jerusalem, of course it swells during the time of Pentecost, but it's just incredible how many have come to faith in this Jesus. And we kind of run into some problems. Chapter 6, the church is too big. The elders can't handle it all. They call seven deacons. Right to help serve some of the widows from the Grecian-speaking areas that aren't being taken care of very well. And one of these, in chapter seven, one of the, or 6, one of these uh, deacons, Stephen, begins to be an evangelist. And he starts performing miracles. God does miracles through him. And he becomes the source of persecution that Peter and John and others were earlier. And bottom line, they apprehend or they arrest uh, Stephen, chapter 7, and he gives a long, long speech that's there in chapter 7. And at the end of it, They've had enough, and they stoned Peter, Stephen, the first known martyr, Christian martyr of the church. Come to chapter 8, verse 1. The pers- uh, Saul was there. Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You will be my witnesses to where? Jerusalem, where? Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So right here, God is now allowing this incredible persecution. They're fleeing to these areas because that's God's plan to reach all peoples for his name. Godly men, verse 2, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Four, those who had been scattered did what? Preached the word wherever they went. Five through 25 of this chapter, we have the account of Philip, who was one of the seven deacons, going to Samaria, the half-breeds, Half Jews, half Gentiles. And he begins evangelizing there and gets quite a following. Many, many, many come to faith in Jesus. So much so that the Jerusalem church sends Peter and John up there to find out what's going on. Wait, 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 these are Jews and, and they're receiving Jesus? What's going on? And they go up there and they pray for them and with them and lay their hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes on them just like they did the Jews at Pentecost. And something, something's happening here. Um, then uh, the Ethiopian eunuch the end of the chapter, God has a special appointment for Philip, and sends him down the road south from Jerusalem uh, to the road to Gaza. And there's this eunuch that's reading, this God-fearing Gentile from probably present-day Sudan, who has come up to worship this God that he really doesn't know. And he's reading from Isaiah 53, and and Philip goes up into the chariot and he explains to him that this is Jesus. And this man becomes a follower and is baptized. This is a Gentile. The first movement directing uh, straight that way. Chapter 9, Saul's conversion. We know the story well. Um, Persecuting the church, seeking to stamp out the church. Really trying to be faithful to his God to get rid of this, this sect about Jesus. And so he's on his way to Damascus. Now, Damascus is way north of Galilee. It's way up there in Syria. It's present day, um, up there in, in present day Syria. And uh, Jesus stops him dead in his tracks, as you know, shines a light on him, and says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And bottom line, he, his friends take him into Damascus and take care of him because he can't see, he doesn't know where he is. And. The Lord comes to Ananias, the saint there in in Damascus, who is probably huddled down because he knows Saul's coming. And he knows Saul's coming for him, right? And for the other believers. And God says, I want you to go to see this man Saul. And Ananias says, I can't do that. He's after us. And then this this incredible verse, Paul's conversion, um, takes place here. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man, this man Saul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before who? Before the Gentiles and their kings. I have raised this man up, Ananias. I know what you've heard about him, and it's all true. But bottom line, I've got him. He's mine now. And I have chosen him to carry my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and also before the people of Israel. 10, I love this passage, chapter 10 through middle of chapter 11, Peter and Cornelius, again, you know the story, we don't have time to read a lot of it, but we're going to read some of it. Um, God comes to Cornelius, this God-fearing Gentile who lives in Caesarea, um, over soldiers, he's a centurion, and God comes to him and he says, I have a man who's going to teach you about me. You need to send to Joppa, which is south a few miles, to get him, and same time, we have the vision we have the sheet of the unclean animals that God gives to Peter and helps Peter to understand something don't you call anything unclean that i have called clean he had told him to kill and eat these animals and so so he says there's a man coming or there's men coming to your house to take you up to a man that i want you to go so Peter obeys verse 27 we're going to follow the story there now Cornelius is now at the door at the house i'm sorry Peter's at the house of Cornelius And talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people there. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. What I'm doing right now, Cornelius, I can't do. Right? I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Okay? But, but, verse 28, he said to, uh, I'm sorry. 20, Twenty-eight. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law the so Jews associated with Gentiles or visit him, but, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So God is doing a work in Peter's heart and life. And so Cornelius then speaks to him and tells him what's going on. In verse 33, Cornelius says to Peter, So I sent for you immediately. And it was good for you, of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And he goes on to tell Cornelius and his whole household and all his friends about this Jesus. Jesus who is the answer to their longings, who is the one who will forgive their sins, is the one who gave his life for them. And as he is speaking, verse 43, the end of the part he got out, all the prophets testify about this Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Think Pentecost. Think the Samaritan believers. The Holy Spirit came on them. The circumcised believers, who were with Paul, five, seven of them, with Paul on the trip, the circumcised believers who had come with, I'm sorry, with Peter, had come with Peter, were astonished. Astonished. Imagine that. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on the Gentiles. Okay, this is is radical. This is something that doesn't make any sense to them and, and they're experiencing it for the first time. Uh, 4, verse 46, is it? Yes, verse 46. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Chapter 11, verse 1. In, in the end of chapter 10, it points out that Peter actually spent a few days with them. So he didn't just go into the house to eat for a, a meal or to fellowship for a little bit. He stays with them. Can't do that. Right? You can't do that if you're a Jew to a Gentile. That was against all cultural norms. Chapter 11, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea, Jewish Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers did exactly what he knew they would do. The circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, criticized him and said, Peter... You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. You can't do that. Explain. So Peter then goes in and explains his story of how God gave him the vision and his meeting with Cornelius and how even the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Verse 15. As Peter says, As I began to speak to Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered, I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was in Acts 1. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, the Holy Spirit, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? Who was I to think I could oppose God? When they, that is the circumcised believers in Jerusalem, Judea, when they heard this, they had no further objection, and they praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. I don't think we can begin to understand the ramifications of this and how powerful this is. Let's uh, just read on from there, verse 19. So, So that's the end of that part of the story. Now we see the scattered believers and where they're going and what they're doing. Now those, verse 19 of chapter 11, now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, Acts 8, some of them traveled as far as Phoenicia. That's way up there by Antioch. That's way north. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, the island in the Mediterranean in Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So some went and they just kept telling their Jewish brothers, right? Hey, we've found Jesus. Jesus has given his life, the message, the gospel message given out. But look at this. I love this verse, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, that's the island in the Mediterranean Sea, and men from Cyrene, that's way over in North Africa, North Central Africa, present day Libya. Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene Began, or where am I? Went to Antioch, that's way north on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Went to Antioch and began to speak to who? Began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So God somehow challenged others, and this isn't Paul, right? These are others that have been scattered from Jerusalem, began to tell the Gentiles, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people. That would be Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. The Gentiles are coming to face all over, faith all over the place. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch again to check this out. Check out this new phenomenon, what's going on. In the interest of time, we need to move on to Paul's first missionary journey. We have Acts Thirteen, where Paul and Barnabas are commissioned and sent out by the Holy Spirit through the church or by the church through the Holy Spirit, however you want to say that. And they start on their first missionary journey and they go to that island of Cyprus and then they head up north and go to the mainland, north part of the Mediterranean Sea, to that place of, of, of uh, Galatia. And we see in the last part of chapter 13, they begin to minister in Antioch, a different Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia in the Galatian region. And so we have verse 47 Paul and Barnabas had gone into Pisidian Antioch, and they did what they always do: they go to the synagogue first, and they begin to minister. They were invited to speak there because he's a rabbi, and he told the whole story about Jesus. And they were astonished and amazed. And as they were leaving that Saturday, the people said, "Come back next week; we want to hear more." So they come back the next week, and it says something like, "The whole city came out to hear." Paul, what do you think that did to that city? It started persecution, right? Because that city, the Jewish part of that city at least, is controlled by the Jewish leaders. And they don't want to lose their following. They don't want everyone flocking to this newest thing in town. So they begin to oppose Paul. They begin to go after him. And and so Paul says here in verse 47, we had to speak the word of God to you first, you Jews. We went to the synagogue. Since you reject it, We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. And now we we shared this last time, Isaiah 49, 6, a servant servant, um, psalm, a song in Isaiah 49, really speaking of the coming servant, the seed, Jesus. But Paul is now applying it to himself and his missionary team. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to where. To the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You receive power, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. So He's making it happen. History unfolding. Fourteen twenty-seven. The very end of Paul's first missionary journey. They've retraced their steps in the cities in Galatia, and they've come back, and now they're back in Antioch. They're sending church Antioch of Syria. And after Paul's first missionary journey, we read this. On arriving back home to that church, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now we saw from this Acts 14 and 15, 13 and 14, that many Jews came to faith too. So that was part of the news, but the real big news was what? The Gentiles are coming to faith all over. It's incredible. And so they came back and they reported that. Acts 15, we have the Jerusalem Council. Actually, uh, we're studying Acts in our small group, and it's exci- or Galatians in our small group right now, and it, it's pretty likely that Paul, right at this time, writes his letter to Galatians talking about the true gospel. It's not Jews have to come, or Gentiles have to become Jews to follow Christ, right? And, and that whole thing. And that happened probably just before Paul and Barnabas and Peter and all the leadership gather in Jerusalem for this big brouhaha, um, in the church, because there's a big problem, Gentiles. Gentiles are part of the church. But there's a problem with that. They're not circumcised. They're not following the ceremonial laws. They're not Jews. So what are we going to do? Because there's a huge contingent in, in, in Jerusalem and in Judea and really in every pocket of places where they go of Jews, religious Jews, even Jews that come to faith that say, no, this is great, brother you Gentile, but you need to circum- be circumcised too. You need to become a Jew to follow Jesus, okay? And so we know that, that the, the the verdict handed down there is no, they don't. We see that we see the Holy Spirit, just like he did at Pentecost to the Jews, did that to the Samaritans who believed, and now is doing it to Gentiles all over. And it's a tremendous thing, tremendous truth. So that's the first half of Acts. As we know, Paul continues, has another missionary journey, and a third missionary journey, and ends up going really in prison, but all the way to Rome. His heart is to keep the gospel spreading, right? To keep going farther and farther and farther. So um, it really is the history of the church. It really is the history of God fulfilling his purpose and plan to glorify himself by redeeming a people from every people group of the world through Jesus Christ. So He's made it clear from Abraham on that this is the story. This is what I want. This is what will bring me great glory. And this is what will bring my image bearers great satisfaction and peace and joy. I mean to be known everywhere to all peoples. So we could, uh, at this point, I would really like to uh, spend 10 minutes talking about the history of the church since then. Two reasons I'm not going to. One is time. The other one is I'm not I can't, I'm not capable. That's not me. Okay. I would love to hear it, and i love to hear the history. Some of you have, have taken the perspectives course or studied this and, and what God is doing in the world. But I just want to dwell on this map. It's not the greatest map. It's all the four missionary journeys. I'd like it bigger, but when you're technolog- technologically challenged, you take what you get and you don't complain. Okay. So um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, even all of those, right? Um, Remember men from Cyrene, way over here, and Cyprus, went here, and they began to speak to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. Why did they come from here all the way over there? I find that fascinating. We also know from from little tidbits in Acts... All sorts of churches are springing up over here. We don't have any information who started those churches. It was before Paul started his missionary journeys. Did he start them when he spent some time up in Tarsus? We don't know. But God's doing a work. And now as we move this way, it becomes more and more Gentile. So the first missionary journey, here's Antioch that we read about, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And then he goes back through there, and that's the first missionary journey. Second missionary journey goes farther, third farther. And then he goes all the way to Rome. And I wish I had more of... of, of of Africa, because the whole northern part of Africa is evangelized in that first, uh, in that first uh, century. So here's, here's the, the big map, and I wish I could give you history, but I, but I don't have the ability. But bottom line, bottom line, this gospel that started right here through Jesus, Abraham, you and your offspring are going to be a blessing to all nations of the earth. It has just gone wild. Okay, So for the first few centuries it started moving fast up into Europe and it went east into India and to China and up in this region some, at least some offshoots of Christianity and often was pushed back in the, in the medieval times, the dark ages, the, the Islam advances and all the things so it went back ebb and flow but uh, a lot of this had been reached early on and, and more moving up here and then... Then we have the Reformation, and 200 years after the Reformation, the beginning of the modern missionary movement that which started in Europe, England, and started moving, and it started going to the New World, and it started going south. And it's amazing what's been done for Christ in in southern, what is that, North, South America, <laughs> and Africa, the whole southern two thirds of Africa has the gospel. That doesn't mean there aren't people groups there that need the gospel and haven't heard, but it's amazing how it's spread all over the world now. There isn't a country in the world, there isn't a continent in the world that doesn't have the gospel. There are still thousands of people groups in the world within those countries and continents that still do not have the gospel. And of course, that biggest area of the Unreached is right in here, often called the 1040 window. Huge pockets of Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, um, uh, animists, animists in different places, atheists through there that still need the gospel and they're very, very hard places to reach, but God is doing it. He's on the march. And today, if you read about it and if you learn, if you dig, ah, there's incredible movements taking place around the world where God is is redeeming many Muslims in new areas, tribal areas, Hindus in India. It's incredible. And so, but the time just keeps moving. That's also incredible. So I'm going to go real fast now and dance through a few of the epistles just to give you some more examples of how Paul and the, the authors of the other epistles uh, see it here too. So we have uh, Paul in Romans 1, five, Through him, that's Jesus, and for his name's sake, remember it's all about God, It's for His glory. Through Him and for His name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Romans 4, 16-18, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Who are they? Not only to those who are of the law, the biological offspring, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham. He, Abraham, is the father of us all in this spiritual sense. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Romans fifteen eight eighteen. 18 I'm not going to take time. I was going to read a a lot of of 8 to 18. You do that on your own, but he quotes several Old Testament passages and several things. The whole thing, 8 through 18, is talking about God's reach to the Gentiles, God's reach to the nations. But I want to read the benediction of Romans. Oh, I'm in Acts. That's not going to work. Benediction, Romans, chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him... Who is able to stand, uh, to establish you by my grace, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. Why? So that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever, through Jesus Christ. Amen. It is everywhere. It's all over this story of the Bible. God means to be known among the Gentiles, among all peoples of the earth. I'm not going to go there later because of time, but I did mention the end of the story. Remember Revelation 5 and 7, 9, where people from every people, language, nation, tribe are around the throne with you and I, okay? And we have a tendency because we're just like everyone else. We have a tendency to think we're going to be pretty important there. No, we're just going to be a drop in the ocean, right? This church will have just a little presence there. The church in the United States will be just a small portion of this. There will be people from all over worshiping the Lamb together. Is that not unbelievable and fantastic and something we want to join in and be a part of? I say yes. Ephesians, Tim did a great job, spent many weeks Few, a couple months in the last couple months on Ephesians 2 through 313 where he talks about this mystery the Gentiles and the Jews will become one I'm just going to quote several of the verses and go on without comment therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth but now in Christ Jesus who, who you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Consequently, you, Gentiles, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but your fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul gave a quarter, a third of his whole letter to the Ephesians dealing with this issue right here. Helping the church to realize that you're one together. Gentiles and Jews. The wall has been broken down. We are one. Only through the offspring, through Christ. Colossians one twenty seven. Many of these passages are key passages that you know about. I had to skip so many, and I didn't have a good reason for pick some versus others. There's, there's so much to it, and, and, and there's only so much time. Colossians one twenty seven. To them, the saints... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Thessalonians, for you, Gentiles, for you, brothers, become imitators of God's churches in Judea. Be like the churches in Judea that are Jewish, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen, your own fellow Gentiles, you suffered just like the same things that those churches in Judea suffer from their brothers, the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Another great example, God's heart for all peoples and clearly he laid that on Paul. First Timothy 2, 3-7. This is good. This pleases God our Savior who wants who? All men. Real often we gloss over that This is saying the same story, isn't it? Who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And by the way, he wants all women too. He wants all people. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle, Paul speaking. For this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. 2 Timothy 4.17 But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Titus For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hebrews 2, nine. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor The rightful place, right? Jesus, worthy of all our praise, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 725 of Hebrews, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Second, uh, First Peter 2, 9-12 originally applied to the people of Israel in the Old Testament but now loosely quoted here by Peter speaking of primarily Gentiles. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God. It's all about God. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you have. Receive mercy. Live such good lives among the pagans. Interesting, this is the same, same word that's often translated Gentiles. But here he's talking about Gentile believers. Now, of course, their neighbors who don't know him are pagans, right? Uh, the others that don't yet know. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and do what? Worship our king. Glorify God on the day he visits us. 2 Peter 3, nine. you know this well. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 John two two. he is the atoning sacrifice, that is Jesus, for our sins, not only for ours. It's too small, too small of a thing, God said to his son, the servant in Isaiah. It's too small a thing for you to reach the people of Israel and bring them back. No, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And finally, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. 4.14 of 1 John. That's all we're going to look at in terms of Scripture I urge you and I challenge you to pursue it as you read, as you study, as you survey through the Bible or as you're studying a particular passage. When it's there, hear it, read it, teach it, live it. So you've seen this before. I'm not going to spend much time here. So what? How, do, how should this affect my life? So what, John? You've, you've wasted all our time for six whole lessons. As we've said before, I don't think there's an area of your life or an area of my life that should not be impacted by this story. I've, I believe strongly that we are stunted if we go through life and we aren't recognizing that the story of the Bible includes that it's all about God and not us and it's all about God reaching the nations for their benefit, for their salvation and for His greatest glory. And if we understand that story of the Bible, it should affect every decision we make in our life, big and small. I think it should have an effect on who we choose to marry. I think it should have an effect on where we choose to live or what kind of work we want to do or what kind of car we're going to buy. How about church life? We talked about that. It should affect the unity in this body. It should cause us all to realize that we're in this for one thing, and that's for our king. And he's called us. He's invited us to join with him whatever it takes to reach the nations including if it takes our lives. Evangelism, I think this gives us a new impetus to reach our family and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers for the gospel of Jesus. Not just to help them receive eternal life and have forgiveness of sins, but to raise up, to recruit new foot soldiers that are going to be on the march, that are going to worship our king and are going to join with him to reach the nations. How about family? We talked about that. Raising our own children, challenging our grandchildren about this story. Finances, I think this has everything to do with what we spend our money on, right? Or it should, right? If we really understand this, what does this mean? Prayer, our prayer lives. What about our free time, our recreation and hobbies? How should this affect what we do with our free time? How about when we deal with difficulties? Does anyone ever have difficulties? None of them are expected, right? None of them are wanted, right? But all are promised, and God knows what he's doing. How does this story of the Bible help us endure, work through trials and difficulties, suffering, and especially persecution? How about the work? Should it affect how I work? Should it affect the workplace? How we represent Jesus in that context? I think so, and how we worship him. But I'm going to now, This you haven't seen this, we haven't worked on this before, we did talk about becoming a world Christian. My overarching cry to the Lord for you, my brothers and sisters here, and for me, continually, is that you would grow to become, and to become, grow as a world Christian. Remember what a world Christian is. A believer a believer in the Lord Jesus who has become aware of what God is doing in the world. That's the first half of definition that I give it. You can say it different ways. A believer in the Lord Jesus who has become aware of what God is doing in the world. In part, you have become aware. Even tonight, you've begun to see again if this is the first night. If you've been here all six, you've become aware of what God, God's heart is, right? And it's all about him and his reach to the nation with his redemption story through Jesus. A believer in Jesus who has become aware of what God is doing in the world, but it can't stop there. It should have effect on everything on that backslide. But we can go farther. A world Christian then continually and passionately pursues ways in which he or she can take an active part. How can I become a part of this enterprise, my Lord Jesus? How would you use me beyond my everyday life? How can I be a part? I'm glad you asked. That active part can be going as a missionary, but for most of us, it means staying home and praying, sending, giving, mobilizing, and welcoming. And so we're just going to look at, really quickly, various roles that I am convinced every one of you and myself, every believer, should be involved in some extent. One or more of these roles of seeing God's name known among the nations, One is obviously goers, and that's what we usually think of. We have Preston and Stephanie who are preparing to go. We've sent others, and we cry out to the Lord that he would raise up more of us. But most of us, he's not sending. But of course, goers can't do their job on the front lines without the remainder of these roles being filled, period. Senders, you can become a sender meaning someone who really wants to take care of your missionaries and really encourage them. Generosity by giving, by praying for specific missionaries or or beachheads of the gospel. Um, Missionary care, looking for ways to care for our missionaries. Non-financial support of all sorts of kinds. We can become mobilizers. That's where God is... I don't think God gives us one role and the rest is for everyone else, but that's, that's where God's given my heart, a mobilizer. That's really at the heart of these six messages, right? I want to see you realize God's heart for the nations and it's all about him and see you start becoming world Christians. That's what the perspectives course, is. that's why we coordinate the perspectives course. Mobilizers are energized by seeing people find their place of significant service. They're networkers, they're trainers. This is a little different phrase, and we haven't talked about it much. God, you know, is bringing the nations to us. He's not just doing that. He's bringing the nations from everywhere to everywhere, right? Immigration, refugees, international students. It's incredible. It's incredible. Welcomers are motivated and stirred by the needs of those ethnic groups who reside right in their own home country or their own hometown or at least in Lansing, Right? In terms of us, they give their lives to minister to international students, immigrants, refugees. They particularly have a gift of hospitality. And we could talk about that, other ways you can, ways you can minister to the internationals among us. And then finally, intercessors, all of us are to be praying praying that God would reach all peoples, praying for missionaries, praying for unreached people groups, praying for the hurting peoples around the world, praying for those that don't have any access. But some, I believe, are specially called to this particular service. And these, these men and women pray fervently for the unreached people groups of the world. And they pray for goers, and they pray for the senders, and they pray for the mobilizers, and they pray for the welcomers. I'm going to end with about 12, but very little comments, so it's not going to take long. Twelve different opportunities just to whet your appetite. There's absolutely no order to this of importance. I'm just throwing out some ideas. If you are pricked by this story of the Bible and you recognize God would have you be involved more in this mission enterprise to see his heart, his name, I mean, and his glory extended to the nations, these are some possibilities, some of many. And I would love... If any of you ever want to just come and say, hey, this is what stirs my heart, what do you think I could pursue? I'd love to interact with you about that. But something you can do, become acquainted with mission agencies and ministries and people groups. Promote and help coordinate the perspectives course. Use your profession, your workplace, to share the good news and Christ's love among the nations. I don't know how many of you live in Lansing or how many of you, I mean work in Lansing, or how many of you work with internationals I'm guessing a lot of you do. Um, they're right there for you. Volunteer teaching English to immigrants or international students in the, in the Lansing area. <clears throat> More opportunities. Become a friend to an international student at Michigan State. Maybe as a family you can adopt a freshman. Michigan State from Nigeria or from China or from North Korea. Maybe there's some of those. There are over 100 different nationalities represented just at Michigan State studying. Maybe, and some of us have, been friendship families to this. This this is a tremendous opportunity. Pray for peoples you see or hear about in news reports. All of us get news in some way or another. When you hear about a country, uh, did you pray about this tsunami in, I think it's Pula or Palu, Indonesia? Did you pray for that area of Indonesia? Wow, Lord. Maybe you're doing something there and you want to see some people groups there being reached with the gospel. Be with those victims. Be with those struggles. Someone told me this morning, over 800 dead and and, and probably a lot more because of the tsunami from the earthquake. You can pray through the news. Use the internet to explore different areas or peoples of the world. You can do that better than I can. Become an integral part of our church's missions program. And if you're not from this church, if you're visiting, become an integral part of your church's missions program. Daily use the Global Pair Digest so you can daily read for another unreached people group in the world or there's all sorts of apps now for our phones and for, the, for your computers for anything to, to, to learn about a different unreached uh, people group every day and pray for them. Read missions-related periodicals and books. Pray about a missions worker God might have you to encourage and find ways to do so. Really become that missionary care person for one missionary couple. Introduce yourself to internationals at work or in your neighborhood or while you're shopping. Volunteer at a food bank or refugee outreach. There's all sorts of those in the Lansing area. That's a limited list. Unlimited in terms of what we could do. My time is up. I thank you for listening and I challenge you to take to heart and I pray that God would grow world Christians among us. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted in you tonight, and we thank you. We thank you for your word. Oh, I often tremble when I'm up here, not, not when I'm reading your word, but when I'm speaking other than your word. So whatever we've said in this series that is inaccurate or worthless, I pray that you burn. And I just pray, Father, that you would inspire the hearts of our people here to see through different eyes than they ever saw before, your word and your heart and your glory and your reach to the nations. Help us as a church to know how we, and help us as individuals to know how we can have an active part going forward. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.